You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Prue. Andre, it's been one of those summers. Was there a summer? I feel like summer has already come and gone way too quickly. It was an elongated uh, spring, and then fall started kind of early. Yeah, I guess but, fall did start early. But I'm going to tell you, uh, this summer, we got a chance to actually sit down with four winemakers from the Mark Anthony group. And if you don't know who the Mark Anthony group is, Mission Hill, Cedar Creek, Andre, you know the other two? Yeah, you're going to put me on the spot. No, I've, yep. I've I've been drinking a little bit the night we recorded this, and I'll be perfectly candid on the record. No, can't remember the other two, but you were at the Martin, seminar. Martin, so. Lane, Martin Lane and Checkmate. There you go. <laughs> so so we had all, all four winemakers in one room. Granted, I did take the two easiest of the wineries, I'll be honest with you. Um, <laughs> we did sit down with all four winemakers in a hotel room. And we did uh, we did Facebook Live. So if you were one of those who were lucky enough to find our sideways camera, I have no idea what happened there. It's your fault. Uh, I, you know what? It was working fine when we were in Saguenay, and then yeah, because suddenly... I was doing it in Saguenay. It's your fault. Oh, okay, could be. Uh, but uh, anyway, if you were able to catch the Facebook Live. It was great. Took it down 48 hours later, and this is what remains. We're recording, though? Yes, we're recording. Excellent. We are here with, uh, I guess, the wineries of Anthony and Mendel. Is that, would yeah. that be, you know, you're not Keller, you're not Tree, you're not, you're not, uh, you're not Constellation. You are just, I guess, the wineries of Anthony Van Mendel. Yep. And so, this has to be the largest podcast that we've done. We actually have a panel of winemakers. Yes, four of them. So uh, for those who are watching on Facebook Live, over there is a Daryl Brooker, who is actually um, uh, Ontario Royalty at some point. Yes. We were here for seven years, so you know you have uh, that. Uh, we have uh, Taylor. Uh, hold on, let me see. Well, I didn't bring my glasses. We Wheeler. call him Ontario Squire, because apparently he worked in Ontario. Passed through at one point. Yeah, yeah he passed through, through like a, a yeah. BC boy. Okay. Uh, and then we have uh, Philip. Hold on, let me see. <laughs> I see you were, you were here earlier today for a talk, and you didn't pay attention to who everyone is and what's no, going on. No, no, I knew the first name. It's the, and I don't have my glasses on, McGann. so it's McGann. McGann. Yeah. And then Shane Munn over here. All right, so good. Um, and we have uh, four wineries, obviously, that, uh, that Anthony owns. Uh, Daryl, why don't you do a quick uh, introduction of yourself uh, and what winery you represent? Definitely. Uh, Daryl Brooker. I'm, uh, I work at Mission Hill. I'm the winemaker at Mission Hill, and uh, so based in Kelowna in the Okanagan Valley. Um, and I've been, I've been in the Okanagan for seven years now. Before that, I spent seven years in Ontario making wine out here. Yeah. Over to Taylor. Yeah, Taylor Whalen. I'm the winemaker at Cedar Creek Estate Winery, also based in Kelowna. Um, I have been there since 2011, so coming up on Seven Harvest this year. So. And I'm Philip McGann. I'm the winemaker for Checkmate uh, Artisanal Winery. I've been here since uh, 2013 when I came up to start the winery, and before that I worked in California in the Russian River Valley for about six years. Pretty cool California accent you got there. It is very yeah. Good. Yeah. My California draws quite <laughs> my, my my favorite part is when we were at that talk and you said there's a there's a a, a common thread yes. between these winemakers and now that we're going to let uh, let Shane talk, you'll find out what the common thread is. 
on Shane Munn, the one that Greg Munn is playing at Venice since 2014, which is the uh, first harvest that we're just releasing now. So there's a really strange accent that's now developed in British Columbia. Yes, there is. This is the new British Columbia winemaker's yes, accent absolutely. that you've heard. I believe it's uh, two Australian, a New Zealander, and then I don't know where your accent fits in anymore. <laughs> it's a northern Vancouver Island drawl. <laughs> <laughs> so you're the odd man out here, I, yeah, I see right. that. So uh, we each uh, we asked each of these winemakers to bring a wine along with them, and who would like to start by pouring their wine? I, I should probably go. I've got the white here. Um, oh man, we got three reds and a white. That is, uh, we're at uh, we're at this event actually where um, these guys poured all their wines, and each one poured a white and a red, and it seems the uh, the whites were the most popular. Yeah, the yeah, which is very, out, which so is very odd. I can yeah. confirm the the whites today were definitely, definitely highlights. Both the Riesling and the Chardonnay were, were drunk up. Were drunk up. So I don't know, uh, Taylor. If nobody liked your wine, uh, is that why you have left over? But I can't believe that because I, this was my favorite white of the. Sorry, right, guys. So we've got in our glass. We've got uh, Cedar Creek 2016 Viognier. Haynes Creek Single Vineyard, but I imagine for most people listening to this podcast, they wouldn't know where Haynes Creek is. Would you like to fill us in a little bit on this wine? Yeah, sure. So Haynes Creek is uh, the east side of the Soyuz, so it's pretty close to the border with Washington State. Okay, uh, let's give listeners a second. Open up Google Maps, punch in a Soyuz, and now continue. There you go. So we're on the east side, uh, kind of as you head up out of the valley. Um, pretty hot site there, very sandy soils, um, and this Viognier block is, has been there coming up on 10 years now, I think, um, so it's starting to come into its own. As we said, it's a single vineyard, so all the fruit is from Haynes Creek. Um, Viognier is a heat-loving variety, so uh, it's a very good site for it. We let it get nice and rich and ripe, let the tannins kind of soften and brown before we pick it. And we're looking for big kind of apricot floral characters, which I think come through pretty well on the nose and the palate. You know, it's something, I was out in, in the Okanagan last year, and uh, I, I got into some pretty heated conversations with some of the uh, orchard growers out there, because obviously you guys grow a lot of the same fruit we grow in Ontario, and I say there's, there's nothing like an Ontario peach, but I'm going to see this, that there's nothing like a BC apricot. Yeah, and pretty good. there's something about this wine that, I mean, if you just close your eyes, you can picture yourself biting into a, a perfectly ripe, mm -hmm. juicy BC apricot. I also get a little grapefruit note to it. There's a, like that grapefruit zest yep. that I really am, am kind of digging. I also got earlier, um, when the wine, I guess, was sitting in the glass, I don't know when they poured all the wines, but um, you know, there was a lot of that peachiness. There was, there was so much going on in that wine. Uh, and I'm, I just, I'm still loving, I love the richness that you've got in this wine. Yes. That, uh, you know, Ontario just doesn't get that kind of rich, rich, unctuous Well, the thing that's crazy, I mean, this is one of those wines where the fruit, it hits the palate and the mid-palate very sweet. I mean, it's it's very ripe, but it, it exits with beautiful acidity. Like, there's still that, that nice... I, you could still definitely call this a cool climate wine, there's, even there's though there's a, some heat on that fruit. It's kind of like a grapefruit pith on the finish that just gives it that enough bitterness on the finish that yeah. that makes it so that it's not sweet. That's right, and there is you know there is a little bit of residual sugar. There's quite a bit of alcohol here as well, so the phenolics that little bit of tannin help to balance those two components out as well. You know the thing. It's interesting that you said alcohol because I didn't even think 
about the alcohol content in this until you mentioned it. Uh, it's 14.4. But I mean, it's well put together. You don't notice the alcohol. It doesn't burn on the way down. So where, where did you learn your craft, Taylor, if you don't mind us asking? I'm like that waiter. I always wait till you got something in your mouth, and then I ask the question. Definitely, yeah. No, um, I went to school in Ontario. I went to Brock University and, and attended Covey. Um, so I did my education here. Um, and then kind of bounced around. I worked in worked in Ontario, worked in Hawke's Bay, worked in McLarenville, worked in Tasmania. Um, and well, so you understand these guys when they're talking. I do, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's kind of a prerequisite for working in the company is <laughs> understanding the Australasian accent. Um, so I did that and then obviously spent a lot of time working for Daryl at Cedar Creek and that was kind of my comeuppance, I guess. Which was, yeah, with Daryl. Because <laughs> yeah. um, he never did what he's told. So. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, yeah, I think five vintages we worked together. So um, that was quite a long stretch as well. And that's really where I kind of learned the whole process rather than just harvests and things like that. So. And you have a funny story about how you met Daryl the first time. Yeah, I mean, it's a story I don't tell very often because... Daryl likes to say he doesn't actually remember it, but... Uh, How much wine were you drinking, Daryl? He's just not a memorable guy. Oh! <laughs> oh! I emailed him, I went in for an interview at Hillebrand and uh, chatted, and then uh, he shot me an email and said that, you know, Harvest staff was already full, but he would drop off one of the internationals and, uh, and offer me a job, and then he quit. And uh, moved to the Okanagan and took the job at Cedar Creek, and so I ended up working for Craig McDonald. Uh, was that, was that was like his fuck you to Hillebrand was like hey hiring me <laughs> you get Taylor and there we go could, could have been yeah, yeah. you know what well, we, we can definitely double check with Craig as long as Craig remembers you as to whether or not you did anything you were told on the 2010 harvest yeah, yeah I don't know Craig yeah. <laughs> you have to ask Craig about that so I, I have a bit of a, a question I know the VQA system in, in BC is um, I mean it's sort of a, a, a cousin or a, a sibling to what happens in Ontario and we, for those of us listening in Ontario, we don't have a lot of access to BC wine in Ontario. Uh, the LCBO makes it very difficult. <clears throat> Anyone from the LCBO who may be listening to this, we would certainly love to get some more Canadian wines from our uh, fellow provinces on the shelf, but uh, that's an aside. Uh, you have the single vineyard on this. Uh, can you tell me maybe a little bit about sub-appellations? Because it still just says uh, VQA Okanagan Valley on it. Yeah, I mean, the sub-appellation, uh, Okanagan Valley sub-appellations are just starting to happen now. It's not quite as far along as Ontario, where you guys have got all your different sub-appellations. We've got one official sub-appellation with several more in the works. Um, so like Darrell was saying, probably there's seven or eight different pretty obvious ones that uh, will probably come through within the next year or two. But at the moment, there's just Golden Mile, and then there's VQA Okanagan. Um, so that's what we're working with here. It's interesting to note that I... I think that the longest tenure in BC is seven years with Daryl, is it not? And the rest of you are pretty new to the Okanagan Valley, is that uh, uh, correct? Four yeah. years, and Tyler's been here, what, six years? Yeah, one year. Six Tyler, years. So, yeah. Yeah. And Shane, just you're? Just under three. So you're all fairly new to the, the Okanagan Valley. So it would be interesting to find out what drew you to the Okanagan Valley. Anybody can pipe in on that one. Anyone. Yeah, I mean, for me... I guess was, Taylor's going to do it again. Yeah, I'll jump in. <laughs> I was waiting for Darwin. <laughs> <laughs> I've been told not to speak. I got this. I got this. <laughs> Before we do that, can someone help Phil spell a soya? <laughs> I hope we do your math. I don't know. Uh, 
I just I just have to take uh, the lucky trip. You roll the dice and see where you end up. That's right. Well, I'm in Brooklyn Botanic Garden. Yeah, so I mean, the Okanagan is a pretty cool region in that the uh, like. Gerald was talking about in the talk, there's all these different soil types and aspects that were formed during the last ice age, which is where most of our soils come from. Um, so there's almost an infinite number of kind of aspect soil uh, location combinations with different heat units and different kind of aspects. Well, it's, it's even crazy for people who haven't visited just the difference from Kelowna all the way down to Osoyoos. I mean, you're going from borderline Al Alsatian Burgundian climate right down to crazy hot Bordeaux Californian at the south and you can literally spend a day or two days in a car and taste those those terroirs obviously Canadian terroirs but I mean it's just crazy different how like how much it goes from north to south there I'm uh, I'm empty yeah I'm empty too all right so I think we have to Get off of you, Taylor. Sorry. Sorry to interrupt you, Taylor. Okay. You probably noticed that we're in a hotel room. I don't know if anybody's watching us. Well, we are in a hotel room doing this. So getting saying get off, Taylor, looks kind of, yep. dirt, kind of, kind of wrong. <laughs> but I mean, we're off, Taylor. All right, so who's got the... Is, is that I think there's a Pino. I think it's time to go to Pino. So it's time to go to Shane. And we're, you're allowed to talk now. I think sure. Taylor's been... Yeah, going to gag him up for a while. And... Uh, so a bit waiting in the hotel room. We're hanging up time. We're getting them off. We're, we're tying them up. We're... Uh, it does have a history, you know? So yeah. please, thank you. There is. Sorry, there's a history of gagging you in thank hotel rooms? I'm uh, not really sure. I think Daryl's called me more than once. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That wine's not good. Okay. Shane, what is this wizardry? So this is 2014 Martin's Lane Naramata Ranch Vineyard Pinot Noir. Um, just in the process of being released. So this is from the uh, unyet qualified uh, well, uh, Naramata Appalachian, Naramata Bench Appalachian. So this vineyard is the most northerly vineyard on the Naramata Bench. And where is uh, the Naramata Bench, and let's so say, relative to Kelowna City Centre? It's a southeastern kind of corner of Lake Okanagan. Cool. So down the bottom of the lake on the eastern side. So All right. So everyone listening to this, Google Maps, southeast of Kelowna, Okanagan, okay? Yeah. Continue. And then drag it, drag it to the top, the northern end of the, uh, <laughs> the bench there, and uh, you'll see it, it borders the Okanagan Reek Mountain Park. So it's a pretty sheltered vineyard. So that it's probably the most ge uh, geologically and climatically um, diverse vineyard we have in our company. It's a, it's a pretty spectacular vineyard that has probably, I don't know, 20 or 30 individual parcels of different varieties and clones and the elevation is quite sweeping and you can really see the where the, the glaciers have come through and sort of create all these unique little pockets there. So so this Pinot is an uh, assemblage of three three parcels of Pinot Noir, three different clones that represent sort of, you know, the far extremes of the vineyard. It's Pomade clone, clone eight two eight and nine four three that each uh, each are kept separate through the whole lifetime of the wine until the final stage when we kind of blend them together to what we think best represents the, the site of what is probably one of the more beautiful vineyards in, uh, in the world. So, that, so that's a bold statement. <laughs> oh, well, you step foot in there and you'll sort of realise that, you know, I've kind of had the luxury of kind of being in some pretty beautiful vineyards in Europe and, you know, something like Ripon Vineyard in Central Otago, which is the, which is kind of the, the superstar kind of photo, photo, photographic vineyard in Central Otago, New Zealand, and I think uh, this vineyard is it's equal. So. so Martin's Lane, um, I would think rivals Checkmate for its newness. So which one of them is 
is the newer of the two wineries, first of all? Uh, we're about one year newer. Jack Merrick's probably one year older, started around 2013. Okay, so Martin's Lane is the newest of the... Martin's Lane was 2014. Okay, so, yeah. and, it's, and Martin's Lane has something specific about it that makes it unique uh, as far as the grape varieties that you're using. Yeah, like Jack Mate, we have our own distinct focus, which is uh, one white and one red variety. In our case, it's Pinot Noir and Riesling. Um, and our focus is heavily weighted towards vineyards in the northern Okanagan. Um, cooler part of the valley. Um, but that's, that's, that's interesting. I mean, for most places that do Pinot Noir, even in Ontario, the counterpart is generally Chardonnay with a little bit of Riesling tossed in there. So why, why focus on Riesling instead of Chardonnay? I think historically it's just what is, what is grown in the Okanagan. I mean, not to say that Chardonnay would not grow in the, well in the same place as, uh, as, uh, as, as Pinot in the Okanagan, but it's, it's part of the history of the existing brand that was Martin's Lane, that it, it started off over at Mission Hill as, as, uh, as a great Riesling and a great Pinot, and we've carried on that, uh, that philosophy and sort of finding unique sites that suit both of those varieties. So I, I, I will attest that that Riesling that you made, Shane, was absolutely stunning. Mm -hmm. um, I would say for a BC Riesling, but I would say for any Riesling, it was really a delicious one. Yeah, it was okay. What? <laughs> I mean, I liked it. I mean, as far as BC Riesling is concerned, I found, especially once you get south of Kelowna, it's hard to hold on to that acidity. Your Riesling was, was very good. But if I were to walk into the doors of your winery, I'm all about this Pinot. Mm -hmm. And um, I have to point out that Andre does smoke a lot of crack. <laughs> I just have to say that. I do not smoke any crack. I don't know what video you're talking about. I have never seen a videotape. It's, the Riesling was spectacular. But since we don't have it in the glass, um, I, I do find this, this Pinot a, a close second. Yeah. A close second. Okay. Considering you Come on, Michael. You're, you're insane. Like this, this Pinot is... is Outstanding. I mean, it's got this rich, concentrated, uh, you know, there's a nice floral quality from the nose to the palate right to the finish, and the, the floral quality lingers. The fruit is very ripe. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's walking a tightrope right towards, you know, a warm climate ripeness, but when you get right to the edge of that tightrope, you get this beautiful acidity that, that pulls it back and just... It keeps it right in balance. Obviously, you're not a Riesling fan, but go ahead, Shane. Yeah, I mean, Riesling oh yeah, because I because I don't love Riesling. Yeah, yeah whatever. I mean, continue. Yeah, I mean, Riesling's a polarizing variety, and we aim with Riesling to make something that is unique and has its own personality, and that and that flows through the Pinot as well. Is that you know you kind of the winemaking is very respectful, and you kind of step make it take a step back, and you know most of our effort goes into the viticulture, and then once the fruit comes into the winery, it should be of spectacular standard and if we kind of let back stand back and each of the little selections we do will um, will make themselves and that's where the individuality of the blocks and the sites and the vineyards are, will are we going to get to see so are we going to get to see your Pinot or Riesling in Ontario through uh, vintages or through the LCBO hope uh, maybe not through the LCBO I mean okay. in, in time perhaps but you'll certainly right. see it uh, in, the, in, in restaurants and that sort of stuff we're just cool. launching it this week essentially so, so how far removed are you from New Zealand like how many years has it been since you almost, made? Almost three. So my, uh, I arrived on uh, January the 1st of 2015 as a, to live here. I, I came... Um, what a perfect time to leave New Zealand in the summer. <laughs> yes, and arrived uh, on the day of the largest snowfall in 35 years in Kelowna. So um, 
So that's quite a challenge. But um, yeah. <laughs> so, so so Pinot is is you know as as far as I'm you know New Zealand and Pinot Noir are like a, a perfect match together. Where does it fit with Riesling that you became a Riesling maker, or did you kind of just fall into being a Riesling maker because they said we're making Riesling? Uh, it's it both essentially. You know that was part of you know it was part of uh, the substance of Martin's Lamb was Riesling and Pinot Noir, but you know I think. I was going to joke with these guys that you know I think I've worked with about 35 individual wine varieties in my career, and I just thought you know these guys make some fantastic wines, but I think I've got the best two varieties to work with in terms of winemakers. Generally, all winemakers generally love rieslings. I love a relationship with the stuff well, that can produce. So there was no part when you said, "Hey, where's the Sauvignon Blanc?" No, no. Oh, I mean that's uh, it, it, it's interesting, though, Michael, because in a recent episode of this podcast, I spoke with Paul Hobbs from California, known for Cab Sauve and Chardonnay, and he said on this podcast for everyone to hear, his favorite varietal to work with is Riesling. Okay, yeah. And it's just, it's kind of amazing when you have someone from New Zealand making amazing Pinot, talking about Riesling and making amazing Riesling. Yeah, yeah, and it's, uh, Riesling always flies under the radar, I guess, outside of Germany, where it's the dominant variety, but, um, you know, I think... It's part of what drew me to uh, the Okanagan and, and this job was the the project had this this intent that was to put us on the world map and with both varieties. And now, have you had a chance to try Ontario Riesling though? If you say that the Okanagan drew you for Riesling, because I know for myself Riesling is not at the top of my list for the Okanagan. I would associate Ontario or even the Finger Lakes or or New York State better with Riesling, where. When, you th- when I'm thinking about BC, I'm thinking about red, big reds, and I know we're about to go through a couple of them. So what was it about, about Okanagan Riesling yeah. specific that, yeah, I mean, that pulled I'd, you uh, in? Like Taylor, I'd, I'd passed through the Okanagan, uh, sorry, through Ontario briefly. I worked at Malabar in 2004 for about 10 months, and so was familiar with the, with the great styles of Riesling made here, and I think some of the styles that they do, they do incredibly well. And I think part of refining our style in this way was, was making a style that was unique to us in terms of its dryness, its richness, power and texture that I think is probably a style that we can do in BC possibly better than in Ontario in terms of like really pushing the limit of ripeness and opulence. And, uh, pushing the level of right ripeness no, and, you, you know what, you know and what, opulence. I, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get super nerdy on this though. I mean, oh, what, what clones are you working with in, in BC when it comes to Riesling? I mean, we we have the the clone the Weiss clone twenty one B. This one is the main clone we have, um, and uh, the the Riesling that you liked is uh, one of the unique things about that. That parcel was one of the original two blocks at Naramata that um, that existed from when we purchased the vineyard that we estimate was planted in about 1976, as it's a bit of a guess. Um, and so that makes it approximately 40 years old, and we don't know what the clone is, but it's big old vines, they're spur pruned, um, they set a, a, a decent crop that it just manages to ripen perfectly, always has a great balance. And As a winemaker, when you're given a vineyard like that to work with, yeah. is it is it a challenge to, to guess what it is you're working with? Because um, I, I was in Oregon last summer, yeah. and it seems like every vineyard, sorry, every winery had a vineyard of Riesling that had been planted by the previous owner, yeah. and no one knew 
what clone they had planted, but there were a couple of wineries I visited where the wines were just, like we're talking epic Riesling yeah. in, in, in Oregon, like the land of, of Pinot Noir and a little bit of Chardonnay, but... People I mean, name drop it on Andre yeah. region drops. I, just I do, I mean, but I like to travel around and tell people about that. Yeah, there's this curiosity about that parcel, but also this mystique and that, you know, the, the wine from that little plot made great wine in the first harvest and it made wine that was intense and had this depth of flavour and structure that younger vines didn't have and so you kind of got to cling on to that and celebrate it and that's the story of it. And 40 years is, is getting pretty old for, for new world reasoning. I'm not quite sure where that stands in the scheme of interior or older BC plantings but it, it'd be up there in terms of age and once you kind of get beyond 10 years of age with a lot of varieties you start to lose the clonal influence quickly with Pinot and I'm sure once you get to 40 years of age, you know, that's still classed as young vines in certain parts of the world. So we're not going to go putting old vines on the label just yet because I think it's, you've got to respect the old world in terms of, like, still young vines. And maybe once it gets to 80 years, I will put old vines on the label. But it's Ooh, probably... Uh, <laughs> no, but I mean, you and I have oh, talked really? about... Yeah, so I was just going to say, there's a very good chance it is the same clone because if you look at the ages, Tantalus, St. Albertus, and also the older vineyards in, in Ontario, like Cape Spring and, uh, and 30 Bench, etc. It's all 21B planted yep. in the mid-70s, and uh, and that's when this vineyard was planted as well. So there's a very good chance it's a clone 21B as well. Yeah. Well, what I found interesting, and I know where you're going, you're, we had a podcast at one point where we talked about when you put old vines in the label, and it's interesting, when you, you mm -hmm. said when it gets to 80, that's when you'll think about putting old and, vines. And, that's, and that was when we were talking with uh, Paul, Paul Bosk Sr., who puts old vines on, on some of the some of the bottles too, which mm -hmm. I think in terms of Ontario is obviously well earned, but in the grand yeah. scheme of things, and, and I mean, what's the point of even putting old vines on the bottle as long as it tastes good? I mean, yeah. if you can sell the wine for more money because it says old vines, well, I believe more yeah. power to you. I believe Australia has, has something called tri-century vines, which means they have gone through you know, the 1800s, the 1900s, and then the 2000s. It doesn't mean they're 300 years old. Yeah. It just means they've gone through mm -hmm. these these three centuries. So, uh, and Australia does have those really old vines. You have 100-year-old vines there, do you not? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely, yeah. Shout out to Bilk, I think, are 130 years now. Yeah, they're, yeah. They're so that's old, that's, yeah. that's legitimately old the Glass is empty again. It is. And we're, and we're pushing up on 30 minutes, so we don't want to cut anyone short. Correct. So I believe we would go to Philip. Would we not for a Merlot? Yeah, is that Merlot. okay? Let's go with Merlot. I'm just yeah, checking. I don't let's get Phil over done. <laughs> yeah, he's been told he's not allowed to talk, so yeah, we'll take it away. We'll, <laughs> yeah, well, well Philip Phillip. came to the Okanagan. We're a little disappointed. Philip, I'm a little disappointed you didn't bring the Chardonnay, but no, 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 no. I'm this happy. is a good, a good concept. And here's the thing: is I'm, I'm happy you didn't bring Chardonnay. Listen, the way you feel about Chardonnay is how I feel about uh, about Merlot. But that's the fact that we drink a lot of Ontario Merlot, and. I'm still convinced, contrary to what uh, Alan Jackson says, that Merlot is not the best varietal for Ontario, but when you get to BC, it's a whole different ballgame. Even after tasting some really fucking boring Merlot in California, I would jump over family members to drink a bottle of BC Merlot. Well, here's the interesting part, and I think you brought it up during the tasting, is that Merlot is is starting to be a, I think it was Daryl who brought it up and not Philip. You said Merlot was uh, starting to be one of those grape varieties that everybody's pulling away from because uh, of, of climate change, which is one of your favorite 
the subjects, and climate Correct. change is is starting to make Merlot ripen too early. Yeah, yeah, it's still valid in the Okanagan Valley, but it's uh, but we're seeing Washington State's a great example. They've virtually pulled all the Merlot out there now because it's just too hot for Merlot. Which so, is too bad because I really love yeah. Washington State Merlot. Yeah, that's yeah. one of my favorites. It, it is interesting, and this is something we'll touch on for another podcast. But it'll be interesting to talk to some people from Bordeaux to see how people are ripping up vineyards there. And changing vineyards. Obviously, they're not ripping up their Merlot yet, but we're seeing Cab Franc disappear from certain regions and being planted in others. But so obviously, I mean, we're the, still not letting Philip talk, which yeah. is was I think <laughs> the goal here. I think when they started, they yeah. said we're yeah. never going to let Phil yeah, talk on, Phil. about anything. Have you got any so we can't let Phil talk about it. Okay, so <laughs> he's such an asshole. Man. <laughs> I tend to think of climate change as like. <laughs> As Dale, take it away. But I tend to think of climate change as uh, allowing Merlot to consistently ripen. You know, it's not, it should be just marginally inside the climatic uh, envelope for that variety, but it's comfortably within it. And I think climate change has helped that with Merlot. And uh, we're not at the point, like Dale was saying, where we have to pull it out by any means. But, um, yeah, I'm sorry I couldn't bring the Chardonnay, but unfortunately it was all... I'm very happy about that. You know, I'm not a Chardonnay it's, it's, it's okay, this is really but, good. Um, in any event, this, uh, the Merlot that we make um, tends to be sub-regional Merlot. They're, they're bottled as Merlots, but that we, we do blend the small amounts of Cabernet Franc and Petit Verdot into them. So this is 90% uh, Merlot, 10% Petit Verdot. Um, and Merlot being a Bordeaux bridal lends itself to some sort of blending. Um, so our focus isn't trying to do single vineyard wines, it's more trying to do sub-regional wines with the Merlots. Um, and we make four, uh, two of them contrast the two sides of the valley, the warmer eastern side, the more sun-kissed side, uh, against the cooler western side where you have the um, shadow effect from Mount Kobo. Um, Daryl, were you in here? <laughs> but anyway, um, and then for the Merlots, it's more the other two are more uh, a pairing of just uh, a, soy, a black sage bench and a soy slate bench. So here, are, here in, um, there you go. Thanks, man. Just for anyone who can't see, we spilled Merlot on the ground. Yeah, so, you can't, so, you didn't see it. Uh, uh, Philip had a very interesting yeah. way to empty his glass, which is just to dump it on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> so we're really just trying to let the variety express itself by unfined, unfiltered, extended kind of skin contact to really bring out the purity of fruit that you get um, with Merlot. Um, but also on Black Sage Bench here, you tend to get this nice kind of spice element, which to me expresses itself as kind of licorice and aniseed. Yep. The, the I, I so cocoa powder, uh, black currant. You, you can't, nobody Even can like a bit, of, a bit of strawberry jam on the mid But it's, it's, my, it's my largest note because hold, it's... Hold it up. It is... No, you get close to the camera. <laughs> Come on, you no. can't read that. It is my largest note of any of the wines I tasted today. It's, it takes up all three lines, plus I used some stuff up here. It was just it was just such a layered Merlot that I was yeah, not I guess I wasn't expecting it to be No, there's a lot of complex. complexity and I, I think um, for me it's because if you think of somewhere where Merlot is too comfortable, say California or Australia can produce a real fruit bomb. Yes. Um, but there's I think where it's more marginal and the vine is pushed, you tend to get more complexity. You get you get fruit characteristics but you also get this layered layered Merlot. I, I tasted a head this afternoon. Like like when, when we were talking when we were talking about Pinot, I was moving all along uh, on everything, uh, and then everything that you mentioned, I had also in my notes. I know you had mentioned uh, cassis, uh, anise, um, I'm blueberry, like this, mocha, this spice. Subtle, like, experiment note from yeah. start to finish, but yeah. it's, it's it's not 
Like when you start getting the savory elements of the Bordeaux varietals in Ontario, we'll end up with uh, bell pepper sometimes yeah. in some of the varietals, and it works in Cabernet Franc. When you get Merlot that tastes like bell you pepper, know nobody's pepper, happy. No, no. But I mean, the spearmint note, just like it just adds this. But that's also part depth. of that herbal nature of the, of kind of the bench. So yeah. This was I think of the reds, it was my favorite. Like I just loved this wine the way it was drinking. Now I could see it going into the future. Oh, this has a long life. This is just yeah. it was just such a layered wine that I just totally and, and I know Merlot is not is not a sexy grape anymore, but I mean tasting something be. like this. If you try this, it should be. It should be. So, it really yeah. is. It's but one of those wines that really it's once again a, a problem with the fact that we don't have access to a lot of uh, B C wines in Ontario. Um, when I was in BC last summer, sorry, I'm I'm region dropping again. Region dropping again. Here we go. But the Merlot that I tasted, especially the further south I got, it was more interesting. And I visited California. I'm region dropping again. A couple of years prior, the Merlot I tasted was yeah okay on the camera. But I mean the Cali the, the California Merlot I found a little bit boring, kind of one note because once you get that extreme ripeness and the alcohol starts pushing really high yeah. it's really hard oh, to keep the wines interesting and the acids just fall right It'll off be low 14 somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. so this is this is a Lionel Richie kind of wine all night long baby <laughs> all night long. that's me baby yeah are you single we'll cut that one out because we don't need to it's too late it's on tape we got it on we got it on the road I'm my wife would agree with my went out of province <laughs> if, 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 if 90 seconds is all night long yeah, yeah. Well, well tell me a bit about the Chardonnay that, you, that you're working with because I mean the, the Chardonnay was also very interesting and with my writing and with what we do on the podcast I try really hard especially with the Canadian wines to avoid comparing them to other regions um, <laughs> but I mean the thing with BC is if I had to describe them to someone it's sort of an, a, a new world front with an old world backbone and I think your, your Chardonnay really is kind of the definition of that. I put it in my mouth and it was a lot of really bright, really ripe peach and, and uh, apricot and I mean these crazy big flavors but then at the end you have this really beautiful acidity and it's not, you're obviously not spending too much time in oak or, or, or blasting it with, with a lot of like spice and, and, and caramel flavors. Tell me a bit about the yeah. uh, Chardonnay that you're making. I think the secret to the Chardonnay is a, a extraordinarily good vineyard sites. Um, vines that all have aged 20 years or more, up to 40 years or so. Um, like I said in the presentation, it's a very simple philosophy. We just take from three benches uh, there. And um, I think you mentioned oak, but the, the wines do see quite a bit of oak, but the secret is really fermenting in barrel and staying in, on, in contact with the leaves the whole time. By fermenting in barrel, you actually season in the oak, you're actually extracting some of the excessive oak out. This gets extracted by the, the solids and the, the dead yeast cells. It tends to settle out and refine some of those oak. oak I, can, I can see why they don't want Philip talking. Uh, Shane's over here yawning and uh, <laughs> Taylor's reading something over here. Okay, okay we're, 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 at, we're at the really nerdy part of this, but if you love Chardonnay, pay attention to this and look it up because this is the secret to making really good Chardonnay. Excellent. I always think if there's a famous Queensland politician called Joe Biocchi-Pedis, you, you can't straddle the barbed wire fence. So <laughs> for me, it's part of like, well, you're committing to one style of wine and really committing to it. And But also, he was from New Zealand originally in this guy. But um, it's really like just letting it go through its course in oak, like not 
going to stand still and then going to oak or something like that. It's you get a more true or expert a more um, what's the term synergy between the wine and the and the and the oak. Mm. And uh, you're, also, you're in barrel for well over a year though. You're yeah, we're at for sixteen months, and that's, yeah, that's the other thing. Year. Like, it's that is last. Yeah. Is it a lot of new oak though, or are you using so second? I do around forty-five to fifty-five percent new oak. I don't believe you. Backing off on that each year because now I'm getting a collection of one to year old. Well, no, but I'm not lying, bastard. Tell us why. But I mean, yeah. but I mean I'm telling you, like, like when, when, when you get to when you get to warm climate, like especially when you're when you're, and I know BC is still cool climate. I'm happy to call it cool climate. But you start getting like you that baking spice, these really like yeah. strong vanilla, this coconut. Your Chardonnay had, had none of that. It was all fruit with like vanilla layered in underneath it. Part of it is that the fruit's so sound, it can handle more oak. Like if you go to a region where you have a lot of disease pressure, like California for example, the wines there can't handle oak. You put 25% oak in there, new oak, it will stand out. But because the fruit here is so sound, and there's just uh, a, it, it's just a weird phenomenon that I've experienced here. And that it, it just can handle oak a lot better than so, what, what I experienced in California. So, Michael, it, it's another reason for you to rip up your uh, no, it's not ABC card. No, <laughs> no, not at all. Okay, so I, I have two questions for for Philip. First of all, number one, uh, you're the only one of the four wineries that's in the south of uh, British Columbia, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I'm all of the proud. Yeah, all in the south there. <laughs> Okay. You're the only one. You're the only one. <laughs> <laughs> mean streets of all over. And, <laughs> I mean, and, all what? Three thousand. And number two, it's the same kind of question I asked Shane, but now I ask, why Chiche Chardonnay and Merlot? It seems an odd combination. Yeah, so. it's an odd combination. I I, I agree. But especially uh, for the south. When you talking. when you think about it in terms of what we have there, it starts to make sense in that the primary focus of the winery is Chardonnay. So we're about sixty percent Chardonnay, but when we're looking for a, a red variety to partner with it. We knew that Pinot Noir wouldn't excel or wouldn't reach the heights that we wanted to, to reach uh, down in the south. Uh, two things: one is the, the the heat spikes and also the sandy majority, majority sandy soils down there. Pinot Noir just doesn't really excel in those in those in that environment. And uh, so we looked for the variety that we felt year in year out could consistently ripen and produce wine of the highest quality. So we considered Cabernet, we considered Cabernet Franc and, and Merlot. Um, and Merlot came out um, on top because we felt it would ripen consistently year in year. And you have an interesting history also of, of winemaking. Uh, so you started out where? I started out in the Hunter Valley, which is you know quite a warm, humid climate. Uh, Semillon excels there because it tends to be picked at a lower alcohol. So you make the nice traditional Hunter, Hunter Valley Semillons, which are around 10 11 percent alcohol. And, uh, Chardonnay does well there, and for the red, Syrah is the, the main one. It tends to make a lighter style, again, because you get the February rains every year. You can't hang your fruit. And then you moved and to... And then Merlot is the second variety that does well there, so I had experience with Merlot there. But then I moved to California, which was Chardonnay and, and King of Wine, which I was working with there. But um, coming up here, like, uh, just having had the experience with Merlot and the Hunter Valley and, and seeing what could be done here, it kind of helped me meld that, those two together. Our, our glasses are empty, and we're now over time, so... All right, so we have to go to Daryl Brooker. Yes. Sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah. He's ready and, to talk. And Taylor's glasses empty. You love that Merlot. Oh, I love this yeah, Merlot. I mean, I, it's hard not to like it. It's, uh, <laughs> delicious. I was. It smelled actually quite sagey to me. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
which, you know, I don't know if that's the sagebrush or what it would be, but I quite like it. I, so I it really good. like it's, that. It's, it's, it's interesting, too, about the smell of, of sage when you get up to the... Oh, yeah. It's easy to just uh, talk about all day. So many flavors and layers and textures. Yeah, there's just so many layers in that Merlot that you could just... I could I could write all day about it, literally. It's one of those wines where I guess at some point you've got to stop. You know, you're drinking it and you're like, okay, I get this. I get I get the sage. I get I get the tobacco. I, I get black I'm getting blueberry. I'm get, and you got to stay. At some point, you got to go stop. Enough. No. Just drink that wine and enjoy it. Listen, BC Merlot. It's where it's at. We we need more of that in Ontario. <clears throat> uh, anyone from the LCBO listening to this? Because I know that you are. Please bring in some more BC Merlot for Andre. Thank you. Yeah, just for Andre, because he's going to keep you in business. The, the the poor radio guy is going to keep you in business. That's the I spend money on wine, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, all right. That's not going to keep them in business. <laughs> all right, so Daryl, we're, we're moving on. This is, this is like one of the granddaddies. This is the big legacy wine from uh, Mission Hill, which is probably the most well-known winery in British Columbia. Yeah, yeah. I think when Mission Hill started, there was it was winery number five uh, in 1981, and it was actually a winery before that. But uh, Anthony purchased it was a pretty rundown property. Anthony von Mandel purchased it in 1981 and uh, rebranded it Mission Hill. And about 18 years later, he turned it into what it looks like today with with huge construction. But it, it is a fairly grand winery. Uh, you know, lots of great vineyards attached. Over 20 years old now in some of the vineyards, so it's a it's a pretty special place in BC. And uh, we've, we've poured uh, one of the, what they call legacy wines? Is this one of the... Yeah, yeah we have what's called our legacy tier, and there's four wines in the legacy tier, three reds and uh, Chardonnay, um, the perpetual Chardonnay, which we tried today as well. So, uh, and Oculus is, we've been making this since 1997, so it is the top of the top. It's less than 1% of our, of the wine that we've, or the vineyards that we source from, uh, go into this wine. And you took over in 2000 and uh, 2015, actually, uh, is when I officially took over there. So I blended this wine, but I wasn't there for the harvest. So it's a, uh, and you took over from a guy who's been there for a long time. Yeah, yeah. John Symes was uh, 22 years at Mission Hill, and he really did put Mission Hill on the map. And he, you know, he was instrumental in, in purchasing a lot of the vineyards, etc. What was he's, your reaction there? Well, it's just, I'm, I'm shocked because uh, he's there 22 years. And you take over, or sorry, and, and, and so you take over from him who's been there 22 years, and then when you came to Ontario, you took over from a guy who was also at Hillebrand for forever. You took over from J.L. Grew, who, yeah. who must have been at Hillebrand for at least 20 years. Yeah, right? yeah, J.L. had been at Hillebrand a long time. So, But it's good, you know, you take over from these guys, and they've, because sometimes if you're at a startup winery or at a winery that wasn't run well, there's a lot of work to do, at least with some, with, Trius when JL was there and then and same with Mission Hill. You're already at a pretty cool level, so you can just build you don't have to do the basics, the basics are already there, so then you can just build and, and the nuances into the wine and you can really make a make a difference very quickly at the top end. So what did you do differently than than John? Lots. I mean, uh, the, the <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, just tweak, yeah. but lots. Yeah, yeah. He was a Kiwi, so first of all, I'm Australian. Um, so oh well, so shit. Wine That's it. That's, yeah. You know he's doing it wrong. <laughs> yeah, he's been yeah. doing it wrong for 22 years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, no, uh, lo lots different. Uh, you know, I wanted to modernise the wines, and I'm not just talking about Oculus, which we're trying now, but all the wines. Um, first of all, Cabernet Franc. Uh, Cabernet Franc was not playing a big enough part. You know, so we started, as I say, I blended this wine, and and it's already got one of the highest percentage Cabernet Francs in it at 22. 
22%. So uh, it's Merlot dominant, but 22% Cab Franc and then Cab Sav and, and Petit Verdot. But, um, so using more Cabernet Franc, modernised the wines, made them a little more fruit forward, backed off in the oak a little bit. It's too easy to over oak red wines, and uh, so we pulled the, pulled the new oak back a little bit as well. Um, because the vines are now 20 years old, they don't need 50% new oak. You don't need tenon from the oak. We've got enough tenon and structure in the wine. So they're, they're the main changes, I think. Uh, and, and certainly big changes in the vineyard as well. You know, lowered our cropping levels a little more. And just, I, I think, modernised the wine. Uh, you know, I think there's a new a new side to Mission Hill, which is starting to really show in the wines now. So it's interesting that you have a lot. You do have a very parallel career in Canada. Yeah. Where you know, probably one of the largest wineries in Canada. Mm -hmm. You take over Hillebrand, and you know, you over seven years you take over probably the largest winery. Uh, in British Columbia. Yeah, 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 it is, yeah, and certainly the largest vineyard holding as well, you know, so we've got... Uh, how many acres does Vision hold? We, we've got a bit over a thousand acres. Uh, Holy shit. Total. Yeah, so largest vineyard holding, and you know, we have five bit of cultures on staff, we're converting everything to organic right now, like across the board, um, you know, and there's no undertaking like that, and you know, just have five bit of cultures alone, and we run, we manage, we own all of our own grapes, uh, everything's... Uh, we so own everything's grapes. a state? Yeah, everything's mm -hmm. a state, yeah, yeah, so so we, we uh, you know, it's, uh, we're doing things the right way. It's, it's serious. Yeah. And you said you had 33 different vineyard sites. That's Did I hear correct, that yeah. correct? Yeah. yeah, from 200 kilometers uh, from the north to the south and uh, across 33 sites. And, you know, Taylor was saying it earlier and, and Shane was saying it, like there's so many different um, pockets of soil and, and types. So the vineyards aren't big like what you might see in Australia or California. You don't have, you know, 800 acre vineyards. You know, some of our vineyards are only five, six acres. And that's spread across 33 sites, and then some are much larger. But you know, it's um, the, the idea is just finding the right vineyard site. It doesn't matter how big or small it is. And so that people understand basically British Columbia versus, let's say, California versus, uh, you know, New Zealand versus Ontario. You would mm -hmm. you would mention during the the talk the, the the crush tonnage, which I think is very interesting for people to understand how. I guess how small British Columbia is in the world stage. Yeah, yeah, it's very small. So, um, you know, BC is, um, we crush 40,000 tons, which sounds like a lot, but if you compare it to California, they're 4 million tons. So we're 1% the size of California. Uh, we're 10% the size of New Zealand uh, at 400,000 tons in New Zealand. And uh, and even if you compare it to Ontario, Ontario is about 80,000 tons and BC is half the size of Ontario. So it is a very small, it's only 200 kilometres uh, it's 200 kilometers long, but only 20 kilometers wide, so it's a and, very small region. And that includes everything, doesn't it? Not just Okanagan, but yep. the, the, the other That's regions. That's BC, yeah, yeah, all of, yeah. Wow, yeah. the other regions are tiny. They, yeah. they yeah. don't really... Yeah. And what are the other regions these days that... that Vancouver, Island. Vancouver, Vancouver Island. Vancouver Island. Yeah, uh, the Similkameem, the Okanagan Valley, and then there's... Fraser Valley. Fraser Valley, yeah. yeah which is Vancouver, I oh, Vancouver Island, was already mentioned. Vancouver yeah. Island and Gulf Island. And somebody said mentioned Kelowna is... Uh, is um, not Kelowna, but somebody mentioned... Uh, Kamloops. Kamloops, which is... Which is now yeah. becoming a yeah. That's right. That's coming up as well. Yeah. And I, I've noticed you got to find new places to plant grapes. Cause well, I've noticed Philip's career has brought him up uh, up the coast. So it's just a matter of time where he's making wine in uh, Alaska. So Kamloops have good apples, Philip. I killed that Oculus. Like. So did did you want to say anything else about the Oculus or? 
Uh, no, I think, uh, you know, it's it's a Bordeaux red blend changes every year, um, but it's usually Merlot dominant, um, you know, because Merlot is so well suited. I think we see that in, in the Checkmate Merlot and, you know, how, how strong Merlot is. So Oculus is usually between 50 and 60% Merlot, and then made up Cap Franc, Cap Sav, and, and sometimes Petit Verdot, but not every year. But, uh, you know, by being by making this blend, I think we've been able to make it every year uh, since, uh, since it was launched, uh, just in varying quantities, a lot like Bordeaux, you know, it, it can be very small or, or it can be much larger depending on the season yeah well gentlemen we'd like to thank you very much for being here for yeah. talking about your wines i'm uh, sorry we went a little long but uh i mean i think most of the people listening to this podcast are in ontario and <clears throat> once again lcbo oh here we go again enough we we need They've more got the message we need more bc wine in ontario or just get in touch with your favorite bc winery and just ship it over I don't know if they fixed that yet, though. No, who no, cares about it? Yeah, yeah. And who cares whether they fixed it? And the LCBO it? does have a Pacific Northwest section now, and they're starting to build the BC. Uh, you know, it's, mm-hmm. I know it's only small, but they are starting to build it. So there, there's more BC wines in the LCBO than there was a year ago. So but there should still be more. They're fellow Canadians, and there's no reason these wines can't be side by side with the Ontario counterparts. Yep. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Hey, cheers. 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 Thank cheers. You. Yeah. cheers. cheers. And continue success. Yeah, wow, they really must put something in the water in Kelowna that uh, all of these winemakers end up with the same accent. <laughs> I thought you were going to be talking about Chardonnay there for a second. I thought you were uh, going to tell everybody that Chardonnay goes into the water. I hate that it, we didn't get to taste it during the podcast, but that Checkmate Chardonnay was really something else. I actually earlier uh, in, I think it was late spring or early um summer got a chance to sit down and taste the lineup of checkmate wines and uh i'll tell you this they have a chardonnay for every taste there's no doubt about it is your abc card still intact of course it's intact because i liked some of the chardonnays i didn't like other ones you know i'm going to get happens andre it just happens i can't love all chardonnays like you do I can't orgasm every time somebody pours me a Chardonnay. I don't know how in the world you're even standing upright sometimes. Listen, I don't like every Chardonnay, but I like a lot of them, so shut up, Michael. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. Please send angry emails to Michael Pincus. Oh, can I I speak now? Woo! I'm Andre Pru from AndreWineReview.ca. I'm Michael Pincus of MichaelPincusWineReview.com. Good night. And as usual, Good night. Andre is orgasm Good night. over a Chardonnay. Good, Good night. night. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes. <laughs>